Hello dear listener, thanks for tuning in. Before we do jump into today's episode, I wanted to give you a little bit of an update. Christine has actually moved on from Recky, the startup she mentions, and now works at WhatsApp. Enjoy the episode. This is Noise Podcast. Today we have Christine Rode. Hey Christine, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Excellent. Uh, Wukash, how are you today? So good, so good. I'm excited for this one. Christine, we'd just like to kick off, just in case anyone hasn't come across your work or your Twitter profile or social media, could you just give us a little brief summary about who you are and what you're working at the moment? Yeah, sure. Um, my name's Christine. I'm a product designer. I'm currently at a small startup in London called Recky. Uh, previously, I worked for Facebook, Deliveroo, Nokia back in the day. Um, so I've kind of been on like a gradual, like smaller and smaller company journey recently. But <laughs> I think that's um, common. I think that's yeah. really common, actually. A lot of people work, start working for large organizations and realize that they kind of want a little bit of a different experience from their workplace and um, just feel like they can maybe get a little bit more authority and a little bit more ownership from a smaller place. Is that what you feel? Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that it was a bit of a journey, I suppose. Like I started working at really large companies um, and it became, became kind of like it. Well, first of all, here in London, there's not that many companies. Well, there's not that many companies in general that can match <laughs> the size of Facebook, right? <laughs> so when you're leaving Facebook, you kind of like have to go smaller unless you're going to say like Google, um, which I wasn't. So delivery was like a natural next step. And for anyone who's not familiar with Deliveroo, it's a food delivery company in like Europe and Asia. And it has like, I think like over a thousand employees, which is like quite big for a company. But of course you put it next to like bang and it's nothing, right? But yeah, this, this is the yeah, weird I thing. That, it's the weird thing of yeah. companies still being huge. A like, thousand employees is massive, but then you scale up to Facebook's and Amazon and Google and they've got hundreds of thousands of employees and you just can't even get your head around that, that size. Exactly. And I mean, like, I thought Facebook was huge when I joined it. But, you know, when I joined Facebook, there were maybe like 40 product designers. And now there are like many, many hundreds, right? So that's like a scale that I can't even comprehend, even though I work there. Yeah, definitely. And that was obviously a little bit before maybe things started to go a little bit awry for Facebook in terms of reputation (laughs) and that sort of thing. Did you ever feel when you were there that you had to be conscious of the business's reputation or your own reputation of being a designer at a company like that? Hmm. I think like at the time, I definitely left before like the Cambridge Analytica and like the proper, I think like bad times as far as Facebook's reputation goes. But even when I was there, I always felt like even, yeah, like 2013, 2014, like way before Instagram had even come close to the scale that it is today. I always felt like it was kind of uncool to work for Facebook. I remember feeling like telling my friends about it. I was just like, I would hide it for as long as possible. I would go on dates and people would ask me, oh, what do you do? And it's like, oh, I work for a tech company. Oh my um, gosh, it's like don't worry the about the opposite name. here. <laughs> Somebody will do like a banner for Facebook and they'd be like, oh, I totally worked for Facebook for like three years. Like, <laughs> you just did a, you did a banner. No, you didn't. <laughs> like, I would take a banner. Yeah. 
I think I waited until like day three before I told my ex like where I worked. I was just like, oh, don't worry about it. It's an app. Like, you know, don't... <laughs> it's, it's so fine. funny. It's like so opposite from like the uh, the zeitgeist here because, I mean, even when they were going through all the stuff they were going through, it was still like, I would say like pretty hip to, to be there. Maybe that's like a European thing. I know you guys are a little bit more... Um, like height locked on like your uh your privacy laws and stuff like that too so it doesn't bode as well because i i'm I'm originally from poland and so i have a lot of friends back there that kind of like talk about all this stuff and their sense of privacy is very different from from how we see privacy too so it's it's kind of interesting to see like those differences too yeah with that in mind and obviously the the issues that facebook or pretty much every tech company goes through with regards to privacy and data and leakage that sort of thing the uh, infamous, famous guy, Mike Montero, tweeted recently and said that he would never hire anyone with a Facebook or a Twitter on their CV. Do you think that oh, that wow. is... Obviously, that's a privileged position to be in, to have that opinion. But how how much of a pinch of salt should we take those kind of opinions with, do you think? Um, I obviously, like, fundamentally disagree with that take. <laughs> yeah. Um, not just because I work there, but I think that it's just a strange position to come from, to be honest. I think that lots of people go into a place, well, first of all, like, how can you expect, like, a company to improve if no one with ethics is going there, right? So either you're, like, ready to say, like, oh, that's a bad company and no one should, no one with morals should ever go there. That's not going to improve anything, is it? So... I think a lot of people have started working for companies like that, even after scandals, feeling like they can make a difference. And I guess like Mm -hmm. being there to fight the good fight is what companies need. Because if you only have people that care about numbers and growth, then yeah, like that's exactly what you get. Yeah. And here's the thing too, with like companies that are like that big, like when they were like taking all that heat in in my opinion like initially i think i was on the side of like whoa they went too far and blah 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 and like all this stuff went out of hand and then like i really dug in and you like realize that like a lot of the stuff that that they're doing when you get closest to the people that are really working on these products like even the people higher up like their intentions really are good like people don't realize that like as like people in tech like i think we get attacked a lot for like for no reason, it, it feels like. And I think these conversations yeah. are good. Like these conversations need to happen about privacy and like what we share, how we share it, things like that too. But I also think there should be another conversation on the other side of like, hey, like these guys aren't evil. Like if you start labeling them as evil, like like more people are going to go to that side and they're going to start doing those things because they think it's okay because now you're labeling them and now you put them in a corner and now they can't, you know what I mean? Like it's this like snowballing effect of like when you meet these people, like I've met a lot of their higher ups, they're really nice. Like they're not, they're not people that are like, like nobody like Zuck or anything like that. But I've met a lot of people that like manage like, you know, a lot of like bigger, bigger projects and stuff too. And they're like, there's, 100% without a doubt like zero like evil in them right and like from the other side though and I've been on that side where people are like yelling at us too you know like in reviews and stuff like that they're like oh you're just trying to like you know mooch as much money off of us as you can and like no man we're just trying to stay afloat like (laughs) like (laughs) it's really not about that like we're giving you this free product and we need to make money from it like it's it's that simple Mm -hmm. completely and I think that like I've always 
tried not to spend too much time defending Facebook because you just can't yeah. win a lot of the time, right? Like people have made up sure. their mind. There's nothing you can say to, you know, without sounding like you're the naive one. 100%. But I do think that, yeah, these are fucking hard problems to solve, right? Like, I don't think that you could take the people that are complaining about this, put them in that position, and they would, you know, without the benefit of hindsight, be necessarily able to make different decisions. Um, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, we it's easy mind, to then. like look back and say, yeah, <laughs> that was a mistake. But when you were in it, there were a bunch of decisions that led to the point that seemed reasonable, right? I think this is where we end up with a bit of a dilemma because we have good people working on solving problems and then the, these problems don't cause issues until much later on. And by that time, you've almost it's almost gone too far down the line. And I don't even know what the answer is to that. But there, there's, there must be, we need to offer a mirror up to product and tech development to allow people to catch these issues a lot sooner. And mm-hmm. it seems like the way we currently build products allows us to essentially fail hugely and then not realize the consequences mm-hmm. until later. And because we're anonymous as people, we can't actually be held accountable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do think that one of the problems with Silicon Valley has been that it is like the most optimistic culture in the entire world. Like the tech industry has definitely just been built on like blind optimism for mm-hmm. what tech can accomplish and like the utopia that we will reach if we, you know, just like it will tech far enough. And I think that what we're finding with, like, you know, the backlashes against, like, many, many tech companies is that that point of view doesn't really hold up. We can't just, like, believe that tech will cause good things. We have to actually, like, design Mm -hmm. every feature thinking about, like, the worst possible consequences and how people can abuse it, what bad actors will do, and protecting us that day one rather than what's been happening up until now, I think, which is, like you design something with best, best intentions and then mm-hmm. you know become surprised when bad actors take advantage of it because you weren't really thinking about that <laughs> yeah but when you really look at like how that all went down like they did some black magic i mean doing machine learning off of like things that you've liked and like like that's not something that i could personally like foresee like it's it's so hard for me to like imagine a world where somebody foresaw like using literal machine learning to figure out what kind of decisions you're going to make about other things. Like that's crazy to me to go in and pattern recognize that like, oh, you like this page, therefore you have a uh, 10% more probability to go to this side. Okay, now we have another point of data. And now, so there's like all these different things that it's like, I almost feel like sometimes some of that is like unavoidable and it's just, it's like the price you pay for for moving so fast and having such like, monumental ground changing kind of like tech because okay so here's something i've been thinking about a lot like we're living in a time right now that they're going to be writing about in the same way that they're writing about like the printing press because there's like a decentralization of information the middle's been taking out taken out no longer like people that are like controlling all this information and so you have these people that like everybody has a printing press now and everybody has the means of distributing that 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 print right to everybody too, and so there's like this, and 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 I don't know where like these things can kind of get better, and I and it's it's so hard for me to like like I said to like imagine how this is gonna like 
you know, I, and maybe you guys have some better ideas because in my brain, I'm like, man, I don't even know how you would be able to foresee something like that or or why you'd want to protect against something like that. You know, to me, like that information is like, let's let's get to know that, like, you know, my friends like this thing because then I can see that they like that thing and then I can start a conversation with them later about that thing. And now we know each other better. And like, to me, that's a good thing. You know, mm-hmm. like the yeah. fact that people use this for evil is like, mm, it's just, I think it's, it's just hard. Yeah. Looping both of your points kind of together is that that our attitudes are positive ultimately and we think that mm-hmm. we want to make your life as efficient and easy as possible we're going to make the features that allow you to get from point a to point c as quick as we can and even if you look Absolutely. at amazon's uh, uh suggested products for example ultimately you do want to buy that because it goes with the thing you previously bought and facebook's yeah. showing you pages that you might like for bands that you're uh, related to other bands that you like are going yeah. to help you it's just that when we ultimately look at everything positively we ignore how that could be turned really bad sure sure but so so here's the thing um I, i'd be curious to hear you guys' opinions of like what kinds of checks you could put in is it like philosophical checks are we going back to like plato and socrates where we're like using philosophical like means to to figure out you know like what what should and shouldn't be it's just it's it's like a hard line to ride like to me it just it seems like like can you even do that like is that just one of those things you're just gonna have to stumble through and it's like the price you pay for like amazing change i saw a, with a lot of good always bad's gonna come i saw an excellent tweet a while ago about someone who said whenever you're building a messenger feature into your product think about whether there's a possibility that someone's ultimately going to receive a dick pic and if that answer is yes, don't build it. And I think that thinking about things like that, where someone could get harassed or someone could get feel un- made you to feel uncomfortable, you need to test that out and understand who is going to be using your product and type of people that could be ultimately be manipulating it. But again, that takes extra work. It costs budget, and ultimately, mm-hmm. you can't uh, you can't budget for a lot of those things because because you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, and I don't know. And there's I don't like necessarily a- have the correct answer, but I think yeah. that from really from the da- from down upwards we need to be saying no we need to test this more everything yeah and coming from startups too that like don't have a lot of money and like seeing from like what you have to do to be able to make sure that that runway doesn't run out too the the whole idea of silicon valley where people are like basically building like financial arbitrage machines they're like getting funds to get to the next round to get to the next like nobody's actually making money Right. Which is insane to me. And it's going to eventually collapse. Like this, there's no way this is sustainable. But like I, I see it happen in every startup, like people like there's really no time to do these things. And maybe that's part of the cause where like people don't have time to like, you know, calculate what what might actually come out of these things. And like people aren't talking about it because of those runways are so short. I don't I don't it could be. I mean, I'm sure it's probably a problem that kind of comes from like many different sides. But I'd be curious uh, what your your opinion is, Christine. Yeah, it's definitely like a mentality of growth at all costs, right? And I mean, I think Uber is probably like a good company of a company that moves very fast with all focus on growth and very little focus on, you know, hey, if this is a good thing to do and Mm -hmm. kind of ended up being bit in the ass by that. And I think I've made pretty good internal changes like in like the last year to remedy it. But but yeah, I think it's like you said, Louis, that... It's all about like just thinking about how someone can abuse it and especially thinking about like vulnerable people on your platform. Like it's easy to, 
you know, not build in dick pic checks if you've never received a dick pic in your life. But if you're someone who does receive those or you're just a vulnerable person that can get like abuse, hate and et cetera, then I think like Twitter is the platform that gets the most hate for like not protecting its members well enough from that kind of barrage of other members. Mm-hmm. And apps are aging down now too, which is kind of like crazy. Like you're seeing all these like apps getting like younger and younger. Like TikTok is like super crazy young. Like it's it's crazy. Like I we we joined our uh, podcast on there and like started throwing stuff up. And the people that were following us, I was like, whoa, you're like like 14 years old. Like this is crazy. I'm like I'm glad we're teaching you about design that early. But like that's kind of like. Ooh, we got to be careful, like the kind of stuff that we post now and like how you post and how you communicate, right? Like the way we communicate on TikTok is very different than how we do on Instagram because Instagram is more mature. It's like a different kind of like people on there and stuff too. So it's like, not only do we have to think about like the morals in general, now we're thinking about like, okay, like what should kids at this age should be exposed to and now like this age and now this age and there's like micro fragmentation even happening within generations like like you know the 12 year old kid doesn't want the same app as like his you know 16 year old older brother or whatever because they want to be different and so you're seeing like these new apps coming out where they're like ooh, i got my secret app that nobody else has too which is kind of an interesting pattern that's kind of emerging as well too but on top of that right like there's there's so many things to consider too and like this stuff goes through my head all the time and I'll bring it up sometimes, you know, and like most people are like, it's not, you know, we'll worry about it later. And you're like, Oh man, like, I don't know. We should probably worry about that now. (laughs) That's that's, uh, really important. I was talking to my friend earlier and he said, um, why would anyone use TikTok and not just use Instagram? And I said, well, because your parents are on Instagram now and kids Mm -hmm. don't want to be on the same thing as their parents. Ultimately you get a new platform. Why would anybody use Facebook when you have MySpace? Why would anybody use MySpace. Hey, I, I, I miss MySpace. <laughs> oh, you did? Yeah, I used to use it a lot. What? Oh, oh, you miss it? I thought you like missed it, as in like you didn't. Oh no, no, not. I miss using it. I was like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not that young. Bring back this, top eight friends. <laughs> yeah, that in AOL. That like, dude, the the amount of Dragon Ball Z websites that I made, like the GIF websites. I don't know if you guys remember those back in the day, but. <laughs> <laughs> on good old AOL man that little like tiny little community where you're like in the safe little like AOL box making your DBZ websites so much fun so so yeah, much what fun. happened to AOL we've come such a long way like generation Z really like just blows my mind like that's the moment where I think like I realized like fuck I've grown old is that I just don't really understand how they operate um yeah. my flatmate works in advertising and she was doing a whole bunch of research on you know obviously how to, I guess, like market to Generation Z. Mm. And one of the things that she came back that they learned is that they really only like work in apps, like they're app native, which obviously sounds, you know, that sounds obvious, right? But like, I grew up on the internet, like I would call myself like an internet native. I go in the browser and I type in websites. Apparently, like the younger generation don't trust websites and they want everything to be a native app and they will never like venture out on like the open web. And that just like blows my mind, right? (laughs) That's actually fascinating because I've been pushing that thesis for a really long time that websites, I think, in my mind are going to die. I I don't think they they might like change form. They're probably going to become something else, but I don't think they're going to live in the same way that we see them now because every like apps are making everything like 
pretty much obsolete. Like, like you can make a full website portfolio from your Instagram with one button press now. Like that's, that's crazy to me. I used to spend weeks on my portfolio. Now I'm like, I don't know. I'd much rather work on the work itself than like presenting the work, you know? So it does make sense that, you know, you'd, you'd go to your app cause it's like, your, or not to your app, but to your, your phone, because it's like very affordable. It's like always in your pocket. You know, if you're bored on like a road trip and you want to edit your vlog, you can now, like, that's insane to me. Like I used to have like whole separate rig for this stuff, you know, and now it's like, you just do it on your phone. That's actually quite a nice link into the next topic I'd like to discuss about your portfolio and how, how important you both think having a presence online is anyway and also how much effort you should be putting into it. Should this be constantly updated? Do we need a website? Do we need a Dribbble account? All this stuff. I'm a bit um, I'm a bit mixed about it. I don't have any work online, really. I've got some old stuff on Behance, but my personal mm-hmm. website has no work on it at all. It essentially just looks like a landing page for my newsletter, and I've actually gotten mm-hmm. stick for that before. But I said that yeah. work's changing so often that I don't... Firstly, I don't have time to update it. And secondly, I don't feel the need at the moment. What, what's your opinion, Christine? Because I know your website's quite minimal as well. I would say that, like, my website being minimal is probably slightly more about laziness than it is about, <laughs> you know, disagreeing philosophically with not, like, having worked on your website. Um, but it's definitely, like, a point of privilege as well, right? The fact that I'm far enough into my career that I can get people's attention without necessarily needing to, like, show them work. I think that if you're like a new graduate, you would be much better off having an actual online portfolio. Um, if you want to like get called in for interviews and stuff like that, and you wouldn't really be able to just say like, hey, I'm fairly senior. I like work here and here. And then get to the stage where you can present work. But I do think that like the type of work that we do, is also just really hard to present online. Not that it's impossible, but you end up with the things that I'm looking for are not visual, first of all, right? Like, it's kind of about, like, hard problems and how you solve them. Mm-hmm. And often people, like, explain that with lengthy case studies, which, like, definitely have their purpose, but also, like, are really hard to write up and are often quite hard to consume as well. But I do, like, genuinely feel that the best way to, like, share and present work is with a presentation in person, preferably with like the actual app in your phone in your hand so that you can actually show them the interactions and how it works which is always going to be better than you know just like screenshots and etc how about you Wu? because you obviously work on games how do you go about presenting work like that because it's all motion isn't it yeah oh sorry (laughs) so Wu is a uh, Wu is a game designer and I think that would be surely a really hard thing to present flat. Yeah, it's 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 one of those like weird things. I've thought about only doing one of those portfolios where you don't have any of your work and stuff because it sounds way easier than what I currently <laughs> do, which is like update my portfolio like every like five, six years, which is like almost never. So like <laughs> all my portfolios are like super old. I'm like, I usually just send people to my Instagram. I'm like, just, just go to Instagram. It's got all my, my new stuff if you really want to see it. Um, and like i would i would love to be able to do only like display but like the the stuff that i do unfortunately is like so visual heavy like they they don't even call us ui designers we're ui artists Ooh. so it's like 
Yeah, yeah, which was kind of like a, a, an interesting adjustment at first because I was like, oh, this is, you know, like, why, why do they call them art? And then you look at the people and a lot of people actually have a lot of traditional backgrounds. So they're uh, they, they might have done like concept or whatever. And then you go to like Blizzard and they're actually like drawing out the UI and stuff like that, too. So, um, yeah, like for mine, unfortunately, I don't I don't think I could get away with that. It's and you know, like maybe maybe not like if if the people knew me really well, like a lot of my past jobs, you know, like I knew people. And so it's like they kind of already saw my work, so they didn't really need to look at it. But it, it really depends on like who you're applying to. But I'd, I'd be curious to know, like, what is like the with not showing your work? What is the benefit of that? Is it mostly just that like you don't have to update your portfolio or just it's hard to dis- like display that work and you'd rather talk through it? Like what's what's your guys's approach to that and like why why you do that? Because for my my side, like I I don't think it it would work. Yeah, I think it's more about like doing it justice, right? Like it requires so much work to do the work. I think justice. And if I did mm. make something, I would probably still you know hate it six months later, and then probably take yeah. it back down again because I'm like this isn't doing it justice anymore. Uh, sure. And then you get back to kind of where you were. And I think it's just like also about like what you're looking right. Like when I'm in the job and I'm not looking for a job, then I'm going to have like minimal effort into my my brand or my portfolio that I have visible online because it's like I'm not looking to change jobs, so why would I invest all this extra time in, in showcasing it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think that's a big part of it. I'm always like, it's always fun when you notice that someone changed your website because it usually means that they're sick of their current job. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I, There's a little bit of a telltale. Yeah, what I kind of struggle with is that because of how fast our industry moves, by the time I need to go and present something, it what I was previously working on has changed. <clears throat> so I have to kind of say, yeah, this is what it used to look like, and I definitely worked on it, promise me. It might look completely different. <laughs> uh, but I think that that sort of hiring practice is a little bit broken because we don't actually rely on references until you've already been offered a job, whereas... If it was kind of flipped around and you said, hey, go and talk to my old colleagues first, they'll tell you if I'm good or not, then that would solve a lot of problems of three-hour interviews and presenting 10 pieces of work and all this sort of thing. Whereas you're forced to do it the other way around, and I don't really understand why, especially for people who've had years of experience. It just seems a little bit like it's going the wrong way around. Mm. You'd probably get in a bit of trouble, though, if your company reaches out to your current co-workers being like, hey, is she any good? Like, we're looking to hire her. Yeah, that, that's maybe not super great at that stage. <laughs> yeah, before you've even sent your CV, like, hey, so we're speaking to your colleague who you're sitting next to. <laughs> Do you guys? Did you know feel- she's looking? Yeah, <laughs> busted. Um, so do you guys see like your uh, portfolios kind of like progress throughout the years? Like, did you guys start showing all your work at the beginning and then eventually like slowly weaned it off, or was it just like a hard line where you just like hit it and you were just like, no work. Not going to show anymore. Yeah, I definitely like, you know, um, when I was in college, I had a online portfolio. It was a bit more graphic design centered at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I had my college portfolio still online through all the years that I worked at Facebook. And then it was only after I quit Facebook that I was like, I should really make a portfolio now that I then spent, mm-hmm. I think, like, a year like working on and off on a new website which was also driven by the fact that 
I think like, so I left Facebook and I was like, cool, I have some time off. I'm going to do this and this. And I'm going to just like work on my portfolio and I'm going to make the best portfolio ever. Mm-hmm. And then without my portfolio being done, I got a new like freelance gig without like even having it, which of course then like distracts from making it. Right. But yeah. I think it just shows that like I've been able to get jobs, you know, or at least have people reach out and then you can show them work without actually necessarily having that comprehensive online website for people to browse through. Um, and what you really want is just enough to get your foot in the door, I feel like. So whatever it takes for you to like get people's attention, that's like the level that you should be at. Sure, sure. Yeah, and that so kind of comes that comes down as well to catering to the jobs you're applying for. If you're applying for mm-hmm. a job in a travel industry, show them a piece of travel work that you've done or make something up that is kind of related rather than showing something that's completely different because someone will have something that's related. Yeah, yeah. I kind of have like a like my small portfolio and then I have like the extended portfolio which is like you know, people want to see like more work or very like specific kinds of work and like a different, you know, genre. Cause I like bounce around. I did like cars and then I did games and then I did like apps and smartwatches. So I'm like kind of like all over the place. So I'm like, if I show you my portfolio, people are just going to be confused. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that's like a good point too, right? Like where you kind of want to like, I, when you, and when you're looking at, you know, resumes, like I've been on the other side where you're like getting thrown, you know, like a hundred resumes a week and you're like, there's no way I can get through all these. So I'm like, the second I would get a resume that like wasn't clear or focused or like didn't have like, you know, very specific like kind of person that I was looking for, I would just, I would just skip it because it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't hit like all those points that you had. So, you know, to your point, catering your, your portfolio and making sure that one, you like research the company that you know, like who the people are and like how they work or if you don't know how they work that you ask them and stuff like that too. It's like, super duper important that you're giving them information that's like relevant to them completely and that's not just about the work that you show but about the way that you write about yourself too right like mm-hmm. the last two companies that i worked with have been food related my website mentions my love for food i will talk about that when you know you're kind of like if you're looking to work somewhere that is about food but <laughs> if i was then like on the side also applying for another job then it's easier to have like I guess like private portfolios that you send to the appropriate places that are framed to like cater specifically towards that one job that you want rather than having like one website that has to yeah. like now be generic because it has to make like every company be interested in you. Mm-hmm. Both of you mentioned that you have had jobs or positions where you haven't necessarily had to show that much work and that's obviously because you've got years of experience and you can rely on your the quality of your sort of name I guess what would your advice be to someone who is just starting out not knowing where to look or who to talk to with regards to their portfolio development or whether they need one or who they should be talking to I'll go first Christine (laughs) yeah I think that like you definitely would if you're just starting out you need to have work on your website right um Mm -hmm. that's the number one I do think that less is more and I would rather see a website that has like three projects that have like a bit of writing about them some people take the case study thing a little bit too far I think because at least when I'm I want to see that you're thoughtful and I want to see like screenshots of your work and the insight into your process but sometimes you get port- port- designers that have portfolios that are like case study that's like 20 pages long and it has like <laughs> you know yeah. like the 
photograph of you with post-its is like every <laughs> single time and like photos of like your sketchbook and it's all like I don't really need to see like this like half blurred picture of your sketchbook I get it yeah. you like drew a sketch but <laughs> the corporate Iron Man scene where like they're like rearranging like all the post-its <laughs> is like my favorite like it's on everybody's portfolio you're like wait wait a minute seriously like, I will believe that you, like, you know, did ideation without literally seeing a picture of you, like, putting post-its on the wall. Like, I get it. You can yeah. skip that part. Um, and I actually find that's quite common in junior designers is that they they do, like, interview presentations where they really focus on, like, I know the process. And rather than talking about, like, here's the problems that we wanted to solve and here's how we went about solving them and here's what the solution looked like and here's all the reasons why this is the right solution. That's what I want to hear. But instead, it's like, first I do some sketches, and then I wrote up some assumptions, and then I went and talked to a bunch of people on the street, and then I, like, you know, did a post-it session with everyone on the team, then I started doing wireframes, and it's like, cool, so, like, you know how to do the design process, I get it, but you're not actually telling me anything about what you found throughout it, which is what I care about. Mm, I think that's a really nice line, actually, uh, because it can it can all be a facade if you... I could make up that stuff. I I might not have gone and talked to people in the street, but I feel like that's part of the process. So I have to put it in my portfolio. And uh, yeah, looking sort of between the lines and behind behind the curtain is probably the best piece of advice. Yeah, and it Mm. doesn't matter how many people you talk to on the street if you didn't learn anything from it, right? If you ask the wrong questions, then you might as well not have gone and talked to them anyway. So like, what does it matter? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, so, Christine, you've worked around the world a little bit, and I'd like to firstly ask, are you, do you think like you're settled in London now? Do you think you're going to be here for quite a while? Or do you have the bug to move along again sometime soon? The bug sometimes gets to me a little bit, I will say that. <laughs> I think that, like, um, I guess I've lived and worked in four cities right now, um, four countries, that is. So I was born and raised in Norway, had some early jobs there, moved to San Francisco, spent three years, working, five years working there. Um, now I've been in London for five years, but I also spent a year in Amsterdam in between. So, oh, a bunch awesome. of work. <laughs> quit <laughs> quit the world traveler. Yeah. And I think that's so, basically I was in London for two years and then I was like, sick of London, let's move to Amsterdam. Which didn't really work out, to be honest. Uh, So I came back again to London, and I was like, from now on on, I'm like sticking here. I love London. I can see myself living here long term. Stop (laughs) moving every two years, Christine. It's not cool anymore. Um, (laughs) But now I'm like two and a half years back in here, and I do love the city. And if I was to like place roots anywhere, I think it would be in London. But there's still a part of me that's like, there's other cities I would like to live in still, just to give it a try. Yeah. I, I what are some of your favorite parts about living? Oh, sorry. sorry. Go ahead. We got a little go bit ahead. of delay, so it's always like really fun trying to talk back and forth. <laughs> uh, but um, I'm curious, what, what are your, some of your favorite things in London? Like, what, why do you like the city so much? Um, I think that what I realized, and what I realized, especially moving to Amsterdam and then back to London, was that... I think, I mean, you're spoiled for choice here, right? I think at this stage of my life, I can't really imagine living in something that's not like a class A city. And there's not that many of them. We're talking like New York, London, Paris, maybe 
Hong Kong, Tokyo. Like, if they're not that size, I don't know if I, like, could actually deal with living there. <laughs> yeah. So that, like, limits the choice. So I like that about London. I like that you have access to anything. You have the best of the best. It's a huge city. Mm. I like that it's in Europe. I like that it's close to my family in Norway. And I like how green it is. I like the size of it. Um, mm. Yeah, I like that it's both dense, but also like manageably so. Mm-hmm. Like most of the buildings are like three stories. There's a lot of trees, a lot of nature, but awesome. there's still like a lot of people and good food. Nature. What is nature? We don't have any of that in LA. <laughs> None of that, just concrete. I say the same thing uh, about London to people when they say, um, could, when are you going to leave? Could you leave? And I say, yeah, but I think that the fact that everything is on your doorstep makes it feel like you're part of something so much larger. And mm-hmm. going to live in a small village somewhere, I would lose my mind. I grew I grew up in a small village and going back there, sure, it's nice for a weekend. You get lots of real fresh air. But then you come back and you think, oh, I can go and do whatever I want, whenever I want. You feel, you feel like a bit like a kid in a candy shop and you can have you can have Japanese food tonight. You can go and get Thai food tomorrow. You can go and do whatever you feel like globally because it because of how global the city is in itself and the the mm-hmm. green space actually is really un, under spoken about i one of my favorite things to do is go to parks in london but that's not necessarily what you think about firstly for london or secondly for any city is the green space side mm-hmm. um, so I, mm-hmm. I completely agree with all those things i'd love to know why amsterdam didn't work out for you um, well, I moved there with an ex-boyfriend and that didn't work out. So oh, came back sorry. right back again. You know, that happens. But I think yeah. that for other reasons, it was a bit of that scale thing. Like when I left London, I thought I was kind of sick of the hustle and the bustle and having like plants every single night. And, you know, I kind of wanted more of a life where I stayed in and cooked food every day instead mm-hmm. of going out to eat every damn day or at least getting like, you know, a Tesco ready meal or something, which is like, <laughs> <laughs> you end up with. Um, and I got exactly that. Like I got my apartment in Amsterdam was much bigger than anywhere I'd lived in London. It was much more like a homebody lifestyle, but I ended up just getting major FOMO, like of everything that was kind of happening <laughs> at other places in the world that I felt like I wasn't a part of. And mm-hmm. I realized how much I liked being in like the midst of the chaos, I suppose. You've pretty much just repeated my Sydney story back to me as well. I, <laughs> I I went there with an ex and my apartment was bigger and I thought the London was shit. I was hating it. It was too toxic. And then ultimately I've come back and with such a fresher pair of eyes that I'm loving mm. it so much more than I ever did before. We, it's I had to leave London to realize how much I love London. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's funny how sometimes you have to leave a place before you like realize that you loved it it's like that old super cheesy you're like oh you gotta like fly the coop and then once you come back you're gonna really love it <laughs> what about you where have you got your sights i know you've mentioned a few times that you've considered leaving la but i know you've got such a nice lifestyle over there anyway yeah i don't i don't really make plans like that i'm just kind of like you know if it comes up it comes up if if I decide to move to New York tomorrow, I'm going to move to New York tomorrow. I'm weird like that. I'm like one of those people where it's just like, you know, obviously I'm going to talk to my girlfriend and like, uh, like approve things with her. I'm not just going to like 
fly out to New York <laughs> tomorrow. But um, yeah, just I don't I don't really like. I could see it happening. I would I would love it to happen. Um, there's some stuff that I'm like, you know, I'm trying to build like a dojo and stuff too. So I don't know how I'm going to figure that out with like moving around. But I would I'd love to see some more cities like the girlfriend really wants to check out uh, New York. So, you know, we might eventually move there for like a year or two and might go to Poland because my mom's moving back to Poland. So I'm probably going to go and like live there for like a little bit. And it might be like a six month thing where I'm like six months there, six months back. Who knows? Or I might just take extended vacation. Really depends on like how things go with certain things. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't really make plans like that. Some people that's are like, like, oh, you know, in a year I'm gonna go move to New York. Like, I think that's I a healthy approach. It comes. Christine, you mentioned some <laughs> uh, some personal revelations of living around the world. But what do you think has been your sort of top professional insights from working in different countries and different size businesses? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess like I'm really interested in cultures in general. So being able to work in different places and kind of compare and contrast what it's like mm-hmm. to work in America versus working in uh, in the UK, I just find like fascinating, right? Like the way that like British company cultures are often, I mean, like not like drastically different, but still very much so. Um, I find that to be interesting. And I think the other benefit that I've had is just being able to build really strong networks in several places in the world like I wouldn't I have a ton of friends in San Francisco a ton of friends in New York a ton of friends in London and in Oslo and it's kind of like the fact that I have a network of designers and potential jobs in all of those places it's a pretty like fortunate position that I don't think that I would be in if I hadn't you know spent a lot of time in each of the places Mm-hmm. Yeah, it also gives you a fantastic base if you ever wanted to start your own business you'd know who to go and talk to if you wanted some excellent candidates or some advice on how to grow and that sort of thing mm-hmm. and it is interesting when you look at like even the psychologies of different places too like even what we were talking about to throw it back earlier like privacy right it's like very different in different places and you have to understand that at like a very like cultural level not like oh I read this and like you know, like even Japan, right? When you go to Japan, you can't eat on the street. Like people will literally yell at you if you eat on the street. And it happened to me where I was just really? like eating in this like old man. Oh, I've always found like, that being a white person, you get away with a lot of stuff over there. <laughs> yeah, he was, he, well, we were like very much at like a very sacred space, like a temple. It was like the outside. Um, it was like right before you get into the temple, there's a name for it. It's like when you go through the Tori and there's like the little shops on the side. But and you were like just there eating at McDonald's. Yeah, just like total American. I mean, I guess I'm technically Polish, but I'm pretty much American. Just sitting there like, yeah, it was it was bad. We were like, we had bought a thing like really close by and it was like a little like dessert kind of thing. It was like one of those egg, uh, like deep fried egg thingies or whatever. And we're just chowing down. It's like a clean snack too. But it, like he just came up to us and he was like, no, 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 no. And he, like, I, I forget exactly what he said in Japanese, but it was like, you can't eat here, you can't eat here. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I didn't know. And, you know, like immediately we put it away and like we went right up on it afterwards. But anyway, long story short, they're, like cultural things are like, like you have to understand that like sometimes you have to be there to understand it. Because I read all these things about Japan and like respect and like how you can't like throw stuff on the, obviously like you don't want to do that anywhere, but like you can't, you know, litter and like all these different things. But and you just have to understand those at like a very cultural level otherwise you're just not going to understand like 
why those decisions are made or like how to design for those decisions right you might think that you know like us as silly americans we're like yeah data give all the data to all people everywhere and like you don't understand what that actually means to like european people too right so and it, and it goes everywhere so like you said like you know being able to live in those different places kind of helps you understand those i think that's a really Absolutely. nice nice spot for us to to wrap things up it's been a really fantastic chat christine thank you for coming on you've had some incredible insights and we will obviously be sharing those across our channels when we when we launch the podcast uh, episode and just like to say thank you again yeah thanks so, thank much, you so much for having me yeah it was awesome. wonderful see you around all right thanks so much for listening guys i hope you enjoyed that one we just wanted to ask you one quick favor we work crazy hard to bring the guests on and all the work that goes with it we only ask you two things the first one, if you aren't already subscribed, please hit that subscribe button, whatever platform you're using. We're pretty much on all the platforms. And second is to just share it with somebody you think would enjoy it. That's all. It would mean so much to us. Thanks, everybody. Peace.